some of y'all just got really uncomfortable with how quiet it was in this room. There was no point to that. I just I think it's funny. Um, <clears throat> now would normally be the time when we would send the kids away to Kids World, but we're not going to do that uh, because I thought it would be good to have the kids in here with mom for Mother's Day. And then I saw this like poll earlier this week that said what, like, of the respondents, what 58% of moms want most for Mother's Day is to not be with their families, which, who knew? <laughs> Certainly not everybody who's not mom. So um, that being said, there are some coloring pages and some crayons back there on the, uh, on the Connect Center for those that would like such things, kids only. Go ahead, bud. Trust me, I would. I just want to start off, um, Happy Mother's Day. And uh, with Happy Mother's Day comes a little bit of a trigger warning. Um, this morning, I mean, nothing, we're not going to get anything controversial or anything, you know, too incendiary for the kids, but we might bump up against a few things that may cause some reactions for some of you. So I just want, you know, very much in line with that, not the Jedi video. I hope that provides strong reactions for you because that's why I choose that video every single Mother's Day because it's just awesome. But the second video, I certainly had some things in there that might, you know, pick at a thing or two deep in your psyche. And we might bump up against some of that during the message. So I just want to, you know, give you a heads up. Typically, you know, it's Mother's Day. We would do a Mother's Day message, but Mother's Day messages are just the worst. I mean, seriously, they are. They are so hard. Um, I have always said, I always will say, I will never come off this. The single most difficult aspect of youth ministry is choosing a movie for movie night. I mean, you know, you got some that like Friday the 13th part four. Yeah, not a problem. Go ahead and let my kid watch it. You got other people. It's like anything, anything beyond veggie tales. And it's like, mm, I don't know about that. Mother's Day. I mean, OK, like 50 percent of the room. Like guys. So already they're disengaged. Like, well, this is not for me. Let me get my phone out and watch whatever sport is on. Then, of those that are left, you have children, and they're like, today's Mother's Day? And then, you know, of, of the women that remain, you know, those that aren't mothers are like, well, this is not for me. And those who are mothers are going, can we just be done? Can we just go to lunch and get this day over with? So Mother's Day is just a hard thing to come up with a message for. So I want something a little bit more inclusive. So... I, I want to talk a little bit about just family in general terms, and specifically this family. And some of you just got weirded out. Look around. Look. No, you're still say. I say look around. I actually do mean look at the other faces of the other human beings in the room. Acknowledge who's in the room with you, because it's intended that this is family. Already, just 
people are like, because, because we've reached a point, certainly in the modern American church, where family, that's ridiculous. This is, this is a service I choose to utilize. Going to church is no different than having, um, you know, your preferred, your, your real estate, uh, your, your life insurance agent, the, the H&R block that does your taxes. It's a service I utilize, and if I become displeased with the service, I will simply go and find a new one. We've become consumers of religious services. And unfortunately for you, not for me, I, I like my church. I like my church family. Unfortunately for many of us in here, there's no reference to consumers of church services. So if you are one who has given your life to Christ, you should be a member of a church family. This is the group of people that barring, you know, say moving far away, far away, not across town, far away, this is your church family. You've come, you've said, I want to be part of this community. This is my family. And it will be your family now, and it will be your family forever after. And, and that means sometimes families disagree. Sometimes families are not on the same page. And like it or not, you don't get to go get a new family when you disagree with the old one. So it is with church. Now, fortunately, you haven't been here long. Maybe you don't know this. We don't have that at this church. Yeah, exactly. See, it's well known. Um, I cannot, for the life of me, remember the last really serious, you know, kind of family disagreement we had. Um, more often than not, because people don't care enough to fight out the difficult things. Because they're consumers of religious services, so if I have a problem with my current religious service, I will just up and leave and go find a new one. And that's true for any service uh, except for uh, GCI. Because, man, you just can't get away from them. They're like the only... Okay, I digress. We are family. And what does that mean? That means this is a place where if, if you watch that video and you saw yourself reflected in that video, maybe, maybe some of the less hopeful, encouraging Hallmark moments, there is hope for you in a church family. If, if you look back on your life and you don't have those Hallmark moments with a mother or a father, Maybe you didn't have a mother or father, or you didn't have the mother or father you think you deserved. You can, to some degree, find a new mother, a new father in a church family. If, if you, as a parent, were not the parent you hoped you would be, or maybe you have found yourself unable to be a parent, 
you can come and you can be a parent in your church family. See, as a spiritual family, we have the opportunity to be for others what maybe we can't do in this secular, physical life. And we see stories of it. We see reflections of this all through Scripture. All the way back to the book of Ruth, you had Naomi, a mother, who loses her husband, loses her both, both her sons, and is set adrift in the world. Nobody to look after her, nobody to care for her. She has two daughter-in-laws, and she says, I am nothing but a burden to the two of you, and so I release you. Go back to your own people. Go and find a good life with what you knew. Just cut ties with me because I am nothing but an anchor. And one daughter-in-law goes. She's tearful, but she recognizes the truth of the situation. But the other daughter-in-law, Ruth, says, You are my mother. I am your daughter. And where you go, I go. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. And in that moment... Naomi, who has no earthly daughter, gains a spiritual daughter. We see in the story of Eli and Samuel, Eli raised two sons who were supposed to take over as the high priest of the nation of Israel, and they were scumbags. And I don't say that lightly. I mean, they were bad enough that God's like, I just, I got to kill you. You need to die because you're just that bad. And Eli, who probably in that moment reflecting on his life going, why wasn't I a better parent? And now I've lost my two children and it's too late for me to go back and fix that. And now I have no one. And God brings him Samuel. A second chance. It doesn't mean there's not the second chance with the earth life, you know, earthly children who were scumbags up until God killed them. But God provides that second chance and he goes, this is Samuel. He's important. Watch over him. Raise him up. And Eli gets to see this little boy, this second chance at redemption he has as a parent grow up to be the prophet who will call Israel's first king and call David to be the king of Israel. And then lastly, Jesus hanging on the cross. Lots of stuff to be worried about. But in that moment, what is the most, one of the most critical things in Jesus' mind? His mom. He's thinking, I am about to go from this place. I will not be able to look after my mom anymore. And yes, I have brothers and sisters, but they, if you go back and read the gospel, brothers and sisters didn't even show up at the foot of the cross. Even Jesus had a little bit of a dysfunctional family. 
And so in that moment, he's going, I can't leave my mom to be cared for people who didn't care enough to even show up at the moment of my death. I can't leave her to be cared for by people who don't share the faith that she now has, that we share, that I am now leaving behind. So he looks down and he sees his true brother, the disciple who Jesus loved, John, standing there. And he says in that moment, John, this is your mother. Take care of her. Woman, this is your son. He'll take care of you. And he says woman, not mother, because she's already every iota of strength this woman has in her is being taken up just to be present at the moment of her child's death. To have that man address her as mother in that moment, I think Jesus understood that would have been the the, the one mile too far, the the straw that breaks the camel's back. And that wasn't what Jesus was going to do. So you see, in the church family, in the family of God, there is opportunity for redemption and growth and and to be more than we were, more than we could be in our normal earthly human lives. You didn't have that mom, maybe you can find a new mom here. You weren't the parent you wanted to be, maybe you can be a new parent here. Because regardless of whatever kind of dysfunctional family structure we may come from, this family is an act of will by God who has brought us together with himself at the center. And any entity formed around a good and loving God is going to be good and there's going to be hope and there's going to be opportunity. It's not blood. It's not DNA that binds us. It's not culture. It's not traditions. It's not coming from the same place. It's God Almighty the Father. So, what does that mean for us? What does that look like? How should we take that? How do we interact as this family of God? The first book of John, the John, the first book of the three books of John, John 1. There it is. Uh, chapter 3, verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. You are a child of God. You, as a follower of Jesus Christ, have been adopted into God's family. See, God's family is based on adoption. Jesus is the only begotten son. Every other single person in God's family is there because they were adopted. Because God saw them and said, I want you Come and be my child. And see, particularly in the New Testament, when we hear about the idea of being adopted into God's family, it's generally Paul talking about it, and Paul is talking about adoption in the terms of the Roman legal system. You see, under those terms, under that system, when you were adopted, adoption was not a thing for children. People were adopted well up into their 20s. Generally, it was a way of of somebody, generally somebody who was landed, 
somebody of title, somebody of wealth, who didn't have that heir to pass things on to and said, I need an heir. I need somebody to carry on my family line. And they would find somebody well up into their 20s to say, I want to make you my child. I want to adopt you. And once that adoption took place, it was permanent. You were just as much a child of that individual as if you had been born there. There was no going back. There was no undoing it. There was no second chances or second thoughts. And that's the same thing when God makes us part of his family. When God brings you into his family, when you come to Jesus and say, Jesus, come, come and be with me. Jesus, save me. Jesus, help me to be more like you. Come and and live in my heart. Transform me, change me, make me new. You become a permanent, irrevocable member of the family of God. And hopefully, you live up to that. But when you slip, when you fall, when you make mistakes, when you do things intentionally wrong, God does not cast you out because you are an adopted child in his family. There is certainty in that. There is hope in that. There is the assurance that whatever else has gone wrong in your life, you are a child of God. And as a child of God, you are part of the family of God. Think about this. Ideally, that means wherever you are in the world, whatever has gone wrong, If there is a Christian church there, you have family that you can rely on. Anywhere God's church exists, you have brothers and sisters. It's pretty remarkable. And there's other places in the world where their church is their family, just as much as blood. And they would never think of going to another church. This church is family. All right. Book of Galatians. That Paul guy. Um, Chapter 6, verse 10. So then, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to everyone. Let us do good to everyone. We, as Christ followers, should do good to to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. We, Christ Community Church, this church family, we do a lot of good in this world. When there is a need from our inception, going all the way back to 2003, almost just shy of 20 years ago, when there has been a need, Christ Community Church steps up and meets the needs of its people in glorious and bountiful ways. More often than not, because those tend to be sort of rare occasions, more often than not, our efforts to meet needs are directed outside. You know, we've got the homeless care kits. We take offerings for international missions, national missions, local missions, state missions. We do things for others. We do things to express the love of God to a lost and dying world. 
But, you know, we also need to make sure that we're expressing that goodness and that love and that commitment to the people inside. Remember those people I just told you to look around at? You need to be living and working for their good, for their benefit, in service to them. How? So glad you asked. You would have if I'd given you a minute. So look what you do good within. This is going to be obvious. God, I hope it's obvious. Pray. Pray. Pray for each other. Not when something's wrong, just pray for each other. Just because. When you show up on Sunday morning and you're sitting here and you're getting your coffee and you're having some conversation, there are countless opportunities to pray. Those people sitting along that back table back there, they're always sitting right there until service starts because that right before the service starts, that when everything is going to go wrong. The second you walk into the room, pray for the tech people. As, as the praise team start to come up on stage to lead us into God's presence and worship, pray for them. When the children stand up to go out to Kids World, pray for them. And for the, pray, for, for, the, for the kids' world workers who are standing there by the door to greet them, pray for them. I mean, it seems a little self-serving to say it, but pray for your pastors. Might I, inside baseball, behind the scenes, we are not necessarily as cool and intelligent and put together and on top of things as it might appear. Okay. I. I. I would never say that about Tracy. I? Good Lord, I need... I was begging for somebody. God, I hope somebody's out praying for me and putting this message together because it was whooping my butt this week. Pray. When we say there's a need, when we lift up Rhonda in prayer, pray for her. And maybe sometimes as you're going through your week, the face of somebody in this room just pops into your mind. That's a sign from God. Just pray for that person right now. Just pray for them. We can pray for each other. We can serve each other. I already mentioned it like three times, but I'm going to go there. We have younglings, small ones, kiddos in our midst. Not as many as we had at one point in time, more than we had a little while ago. We need to serve them. It is through our efforts ministering to them, interacting with them, relating to them, that they see and learn and grow to understand what Christ looks like, what Christians look like, what the church looks like. You know, we have offered Kids World three weeks of every month since January. And I don't think that's five, ooh, five months. For the record, we will have Kids World next week. We will not have Kids World again until probably Labor Day because we give our Kids World staff the summer off because they need it. 
they might not need it as much if there was more of them. As it is, we've had currently five teams, which means over the course of five months, each team has not had to teach Kids World more than three times over the course of five months. If you wanted to come and you wanted to minister to our least members, that's a way to serve. And that's a way, when you do that, get this, when you teach in Kids World, when you step up and say, I want to serve with our students in youth ministry, you are not just serving the people that meet you in that room on Sunday morning. You are serving their parents. See, it is the responsibility of the parent to raise a child in faith. But every time you go through those doors and somebody who's not a parent is reaffirming, teaching, strengthening that faith that the parent is instilling in them, you are helping that parent to raise a strong Christian child. There's a phrase. There's a phrase that more often than not is used in mockery. But it's true in the family of God. It takes a village to raise a child. When you look back to the, the prayer, the foundational, pivotal prayer of the Jewish people from Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your strength. You shall keep the commandments and statutes that I am teaching you today. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You, the nation, will teach these things to the nation's children. Not just you, the parent, will teach these things to your child. See, in the church family, in God's family, a child is everyone's child. Everyone has the opportunity to contribute to that child's growth in the faith. And when you serve the child, you serve the parent. This is what it looks like when we act as a family. First Corinthians. Chapter 12, verse 26. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Together. We are all in this together. It is God's utmost intention that when you go through the dark times, when you go through the storms of life, you don't do it alone. That is a plan from the enemy. That is the enemy's number one desire that you should feel alone and isolated and cut off in the dark times. Folks, been there, done that. 
I should have known better. In this life, you don't have to be alone. If you're part of this family, whatever your earthly experience might be in God's family, you never need to be alone. You never need to go through anything alone. There are brothers and sisters and spiritual mothers and spiritual fathers just waiting for you to turn to them and go, I am in such a bad place and I can't do this by myself. This is what real, honest, godly family looks like. I would venture to say, probably, there's at least one person in this room right now going through something, and you're going through it by yourself, and you don't need to be. And it may be pride, it may be shame, it may be regret, it may be any number of things that keep you from sharing that. but not sharing and not bringing a brother or sister alongside you to walk through the storm with you, you're just making it worse. You're just making that storm darker and harder and longer. You don't need to be alone. Conversely, if that's not you, assume that there is somebody you know going through it, and they're going through it bad. Pray for them. And you don't know who. Just pray for them. God knows. Oddly enough, God knows who it is. If you just pray for that person, he can put a name on that person. He won't tell you. But that doesn't mean you not knowing who it is diminishes the effectiveness of your prayer for that person. Pray for the one who's lost. Pray for the one who's broken. Pray for the one in the midst of the storm. Even if you don't know about it, God does. And then finally, did I, did I already cover children's ministry? Okay, good, 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 good. Um, then just one of my other favorite, favorite drums to beat or a dead horse. It's up to you to decide. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Do not neglect meeting together as some have taken to doing. And as I read that, a lot of y'all's mind went to one place. That is not where I'm going. Most of us in this room are of an age where we have some common cultural experiences. Think way back, way, way, way back when you were younger. I don't think it's like this today, but way back when we were children, no matter how busy life was, no matter how much stuff was going on, and can we just acknowledge we, as younger people, were not nearly as busy as children are today? 
Good Lord, kids these days need like personal assistance to keep them on track. Oh, mom, sorry, uh, moving on. No matter how busy life was, where were you sure the entire family was going to meet collectively on a regular basis? The dinner table. Do they still make those? Okay, probably they do. Do we still eat at dinner tables or do they just collect stuff? See, this is the where we have neglected meeting together. If you look back to the beginning of church, they were meeting regularly as a family, collectively, and they weren't doing it at church. Because? Correct. There was no church. Very good, very good, very good. They didn't have buildings. So when they decided to get together, it was at somebody's house for meals. We need to get back to that. In this day and age, when we get together collectively for meals in a faith-based community, we tend to refer to that as a life group. Yes. Folks, if you are not part of a life group, you need to be. If you had one hour, one spare hour in your entire week, I would encourage that that one hour be spent in a life group rather than here on Sunday morning. You will see so much more fundamental change and growth and transformation in your own life. So much more ability to serve and interact with others in a life group than you do sitting here. Simply because in a life group, if nothing else, you're looking at each other. In a life group, you would be conversing with each other rather than sitting here in silence staring at me. Nothing else. A life group would prevent you from sitting in silence staring at this. Who needs that? Life group. It's where the family gets together. It's where the intricacies of life are hammered out. It's where we have the opportunity to share, you know, I just told you, you're going through a dark time. Probably most people are not going to be comfortable standing up in church and saying, my life is falling apart and I need help. But around a table filled with food, surrounded by people you know, who know you and love you, much more willing to ask for help. And chances are in that setting, those people know you need help even before you're willing to admit it. Tracy and I just finished up the second year of the master's program we're doing. And uh, one of the classes, yeah, we don't have time. But one of the best parts of one of these classes was we had these opportunities to put together um, ministry reflection groups. A group of people from our church who could give us open, honest feedback. Absolutely one of the best things of the entire school program so far, and one of the most horrifying. Early, at the start of this second year, when we first put these groups together, 
um, clear back to like September, we had the groups fill out reports. And the September report was like, and, and basically you put together a group of like three to five people. And they get together like once every couple months and talk about you. And then they write up a report and they send it away. And then you get to read the report. Very first thing, strengths, weaknesses, liabilities. Ooh, okay. Didn't actually go back and read this report until like March. But when I went back and read this report, strengths. Okay, all right. Yeah, I can, I can get on board with that. Weaknesses. So we're being honest. Okay, good, 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 good. We're going to be honest. Great, awesome. And quite honestly, in the weaknesses section, nothing I didn't know, nothing I didn't really expect. Liabilities. I was a little shocked by the liabilities section. I was shocked because what these people, these people that I said, you know, hey, I'm an open book. Hey, I'm going to be honest with you. Hey, I take whatever feedback it is you have to give to me. In the section where these people, without conversing with me, they got together, had a conversation, and they said, these are his liabilities. And what they wrote down was not news to me. Everything they wrote down was stuff that I knew about myself. I just had no idea. In that moment, to have other people laying bare some of my deepest, darkness, shameful, regretful aspects to my nature, I felt love. See, I will constantly tell people, church, the family of God is a place where you can come and you can know and be known. You can love and be loved, but I didn't expect that for myself. And in that moment, to see that I was known and I was loved. beautiful. It was one of the most blessed moments I have had in 30 years of being part of God's family. And I cannot tell you what that is like. And literally, I can't tell you because it's something you need to come and be part of. And just being a consumer of religious services is not going to get you there. A consumer of church services says, give me what I need so I can leave. A member of God's family says, pour into me. Be the mother I didn't have. Be the father I didn't have. Be the child I couldn't have. And in that we share God's love in a way you will not experience otherwise. Would you bow your heads with me as we close in prayer? Father, I thank you that you made me your child. 
I thank you that you brought me into your family. You have made me your son. And in doing so, you have given me brothers and you have given me sisters. You've showed me and allowed me to experience your love in ways I could not even imagine. And I just pray this morning, Father, that each and every person who heard this message now, somewhere down the road, would feel the desire in them, in their heart, to know that kind of love, the kind of love that can only be experienced in the family of God. I thank you for my brothers, and I thank you for my sisters, and I thank you that you are my father. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.